Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to, uh, to worship this morning. We're glad you're here. You know, I was thinking this week about how easy it is sometimes for us to uh, go through the motions of being spiritual. Uh, we come to worship, we engage with the music, we uh, offer some prayers, we hope to find, you know, some magical key that helps make us feel a little more peaceful, a little more holy in the week ahead, but I think sometimes inside some of us continue to feel empty. Deep down, we do really hunger and thirst for something that will sustain us in these crazy uh, times of our life. In our culture today, we continue to chase after things that ultimately disappoint us, ultimately uh, hurt us, and often look past the very thing that can heal and cleanse our lives. And Jesus said that he is our bread of life, he is our manna from heaven. He is the one who was sent to earth to sustain us, to feed us, to heal us. And so I pray that this time of worship this morning might be a time that we stop thinking about all the things in life that uh, have no power to satisfy us ultimately um, and allow God the creator to be the one who will quench our thirst and nourish our spirits as we meet him in this place. Let's pray together, shall we? God, along this path of life, we search continually for signs that point us in positive direction. But you've given us a sign which points us to healing and to hope, and that's Jesus Christ, the bread of life. And we don't have to hunger, and we don't have to, have to thirst after all the things that cannot sustain us. So help us to be fed and nourished uh, by Christ this morning. Open our hearts in gratitude for all the wondrous things that you have done for us. Open our spirits to hear a word of hope for us today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it is good to be back with you uh, today. I have missed you all. Uh, I have not been on vacation, as someone implied this week, but I've been preaching this last uh, month up at our new St. John's campus. And we had a, been having a great time. Some of you even came up to visit. Uh, we had good attendance through the whole month of July. We had lots of we have lots of enthusiasm for Redeemer's presence and influence and ministry in that uh, congregation. And I believe that we are making a difference, and we're going to continue to make a difference. Um, and good things are going to happen because uh, we're there. Uh, you know, growing a vital church is not primarily, though, about what we do. On a day-in, day-out, week-in, week-out basis, growing a healthy, vital church is not so much about what we do, it's about what God is doing among us. And uh, it's kind of a challenging task, to be sure. We know that a church that doesn't have vision or vitality doesn't really missionally engage in its community. And I see it every week with churches I work with across the state of Michigan. But our passion and our vision here at Redeemer is to help congregations grow, is to help connect people with God and the God who can transform not only individual lives, but churches into healthy, active bodies of believers. And our goal has always been to help motivate people to grow in their faith and to put faith into practice on a daily basis. So we find ourselves in a day and age where congregations of, of all sizes are barely hanging on and they're losing ground. And we'll talk about that a little bit later today, but we live in a culture that's changing so rapidly. Uh, our, our challenge is to always to bless the people uh, in, a, in a congregation and what they've done in the past and what they're doing in the present, but also 
to help discern what God would have us do in the future in this rapidly changing world we live in. So today we're starting this new five-week teaching series called Vital Signs, and it's really all about what it means to be involved in a local church family. Um, what makes the church healthy? What makes it relevant in today's culture? So we'll, you'll hear more about that in just a few moments. And today we're also going to be sharing in Holy Communion. We're glad you're here to be part of all of that. Let's pray. God, we trust you. We trust in your power to create, to sustain, to enable us. But we could not trust if we didn't know that your promise to always be with us. Thank you, God, for uh, being with us as we have gathered here this morning to worship you. Help us not to check our minds and our hearts at the door, but enable us to bring all that we are to you today so that we might experience your touch in every part of our life. And we pray this because of and in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. In the New Testament scriptures, the church is described as a body. And the Apostle Paul speaks of each member of the body serving a function so that the body is healthy. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning with verse 12, the Apostle Paul gives us some guidance about what it means to be a body with many different parts. He says, the human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. Some of us are Jews, some are Gentiles, some are slaves, some are free, but we all have been baptized into one body by one spirit, and we all share the same spirit. Yes, the body has many different parts, but just one, not just one part. If the foot says, I'm not a part of the body because I'm not a hand, that does not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear says, I'm not a part of the body because I'm not an eye, that would would that make it any less part of the body? If the whole body were an eye, how would you hear? Or if the whole body were an ear, how would you smell anything? But our bodies have many, many parts and God has put each part just where he wants it. How strange a body would be if we only had one part. Yes, there are many parts, but only one body. The eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. In fact, some parts of the body that seem weakest and least important are actually the most necessary, and the parts we regard as less honorable are those we clothe with the greatest care, so we carefully protect those parts that should not be seen, while the more honorable parts do not require this special care. So God has put the body together such that extra honor and care be given to those parts that have less dignity. This makes for harmony among the members so that all the members care for each other. If one part suffers, all the parts suffer with it. If one part is honored, all the parts are glad. All of you together are Christ's body and each of you is a part of it. Here are some of the parts God has appointed for the church. First, our apostles. Second, our prophets. Third, our teachers. Then those who do miracles, those who have the gift of healing, those who can help others those who have the gift of leadership, those who speak in unknown languages. Are we all apostles? Are we all prophets? Are we all teachers? Do we all have the power to do miracles? Do we all have the gift of healing? Do we all have the ability to speak in unknown languages? Do we all have the ability to interpret unknown languages? Of course not. 
so you should earnestly desire the most helpful gifts. Then Paul says, all of you together are Christ's body, and each of you is a part of it. You may be asking why we're doing this series on what it means to be the body of Christ. Well, it, let, let me be quick to say that it's for a whole host of reasons which we'll touch on today and in the weeks to come. But first, we need to know that the idea of what it means to attend or be involved in a church as a member of a church has become misunderstood in so many churches today. There are a lot of folks in our culture who have the wrong idea about what church is and what church isn't. And they're just as confused about what it means to be involved in a local church. See, personal preference uh, has replaced biblical understanding about what it means to be the body of Christ. Second, there are more and more people today who believe that membership in a local church or congregation is unnecessary. On the whole, uh, we're seeing church membership declining across America. Research on 557 congregations between 2004 and 2010 has shown that nine out of 10 churches, nine out of 10 churches in America today are in decline or growing at a slower pace than the communities where they are. The rate of growth of the population in the local community is outpacing the rate of growth of most churches. One of our main problems is that we are failing to connect with a large segment of our population today. It seems that we've become generationally irrelevant. Sociologists arrange the generations into groups with specific traits, and you know this, the builder generation is comprised of those people who were born before 1946. That may include a few of you in this room today. We don't raise hands and identify our ages here. So I won't ask you to do that. But the builder generation is, are those born before 1946. Following the builders were the baby boomers. And I was a part of that. I'm a part of that generation uh, who were born between 1946 and 1963. After the boomers came the Gen X generation born between 1964 and 1980. The next group is one we hear a lot about in the news today and it's dubbed the millennials, born between 1980 and 2000. They are the most populated generation grouping with around, with around 80 million members. And now we have Generation Z or, gen, or the I generation coming along. But I want, by comparison, two-thirds, 66% of the builder generation, remember, born before 1946, the builder generation, two-thirds of them identify as Christian. But only 15% of the millennial generation today identify with the Christian faith. That means that we have all but lost an entire generation of young people in America today. And we can blame the problem on multiple causes. We can blame it on our culture, and we usually do sometimes do that. We can blame it on removing God from the public arena and political arena of our society, uh, like our schools and, and politics, and we do that as well. We can even blame it on the church. 
both hypocritical Christians and the lack of spiritual leadership at the congregational level. See, there's lots of causes and there's lots of blame to go around. Tom Rayner, who's a pastor and a researcher, gives this analysis of the situation. He says, if outside forces and culture were the reasons behind decline in non-influential churches, we would likely have no churches today. The greatest periods of growth, particularly in the first century church, took place in adversarial cultures, which means we're not hindered by external forces. We are hindered by our own lack of commitment and selflessness. The bottom line is that we need to look in the mirror. One reason that we have become weak and irrelevant is that we have lost the biblical understanding of what it means to be the church or a member of a local church. Rainer says we join our churches expecting that they're gonna serve us and feed us and care for us. And we don't like all the hypocrites in the church, but we fail to see our own hypocrisies. In a summary of the issues that we'll be addressing over the next several weeks, Rainer says that God has intended for us to be the church that cares for each other, that serves one another, that prays for leaders, that uh, to learn, to teach, to give, and in some cases even die for the sake of the gospel. We have become ineffective because we have turned the meaning of being part of a church upside down. So this weekend, we're gonna start a journey. Uh, a journey designed to discover and in some cases rediscover the privilege and joy of what it means to be involved in a local church. And if even one person who attends this church becomes healthier, we're gonna have a greater impact on our community and across the world than we ever had before. So our first step in this journey is for each of us to determine that we will be a functioning and participating church member. So what does that mean? And how does it play out in our lives and in the life of this congregation? Well, being a member of the body of Christ means that we are all necessary parts of the whole. There are a number of passages in the New Testament that deal with the idea of church membership. The longest and most detailed passage is the one that we just read a few moments ago from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, but then Paul goes on to talk about that some more in chapter 13 and 14, which we'll get to in a few moments. You see, this was Paul's first letter to the church in Corinth. In chapter 12, he uses symbolic language to describe what it means to be part of a church. In chapter 13, he defines what should drive that involvement. And then in chapter 14, he covers some of the issues regarding corporate worship time at this church in Corinth. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning with verse 12, the verses we read earlier, the human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. Some of us are Jews or Gentiles or slaves or free, but we all have been baptized into one body by one spirit, and we all share that same spirit. Some church leaders and people who attend church today tend to view membership as a modern business or some kind of organizational concept. But membership is biblical. A little later in verse 27, Paul says, all of you together are Christ's body and each of you are a part of it. 
The pronoun you is in the plural in the original language, which means the concept that each person joins together to make up the church. When the New Testament talks about the church, it uses two very closely related yet slightly different ideas. There's this church universal, which means that um, uh, every Christian across the world makes up the church universal. But there's also the church local, the individuals in congregations just like us that make up the worldwide body of Christ. In the first century church, when you became a Christian, you became a member not only of the church universal, but also of a local church. And that's important because we know that the church is the most effective, uh, is most effective at the local level. Now, here's how it played out in the New Testament. Maybe the two most well-known local congregations in the first century were the church in Jerusalem and the church in Antioch, both that began missionary efforts and started new congregations all across the Roman Empire. Local leadership was put into place for the purpose of shepherding and teaching members of local congregations how to grow spiritually. The early Christians were called to practice the one another's of Scripture. Scripture talks about serving one another, encouraging one another, praying for one another, comforting one another, bearing one another's burdens, and so on. There are over 30 of those one another passages in the New Testament. And we as individuals who attend this church are the church. We are all essential parts of it. In verse 14, we're told, yes, the body has many different parts, not just one part. The whole cannot be complete without individual members because the church is a body. And Paul uses this physical body image as a representation of the church. He says that God has put the body together according to a plan and to a purpose, just like our physical bodies. Verse 18, but our bodies have many parts and God has put each part just where he wants it. Verse 24, so God has put the body together such that, so, such that extra honor and care be given to those parts that have less dignity. But he emphasizes God is the one who puts the body together. I love the words of David in Psalm 139. He's speaking to God and he says, you've made all the delicate inner parts of my body. You've knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. And we know that the human body is an amazing piece of work, isn't it? Truthfully, how can anyone ever believe that it's just a product of time and chance and matter? Think about it. The stomach, digestive acids are strong enough to dissolve zinc. The lungs contain over 300 million tiny blood vessels. If they were laid end to end, they would stretch 1,500 miles. Human bone is strong enough to support our weight in all of our activities. Each kidney contains like a million individual filters that filter an average of 2.2 pints of blood a minute. The muscles of the eyes that cause us to focus move around 100,000 times a day. See, everything in our body works together by the Creator's design. God has designed the church as a body as well. He has designed it and set it in order. He has set it up so that each individual member needs to do its part or it doesn't operate the way it was intended to. 
Now, the second step in this journey is to realize that we are different, but yet we can still work together. In the body, there's both unity and there's diversity. The body, the parts of the body must work together for the health of the whole body. Imagine with me that your brain receives the signal that you're thirsty. Pretty easy to imagine on a hot day like today, isn't it? You're thirsty. Your eye sees a, body, a bottle of water across the room. However, your legs and feet decide they're not gonna transport your body across the room. If that happens, you're not gonna get that drink of water, are you? Even if you could get your legs and feet to cooperate in that endeavor, what would happen if your hands refused to grasp the bottle, twist off the cap and lift the bottle to your mouth? Or what if your mouth refused to open and receive the water? You get the idea. Each part has to do its work or the whole body suffers. And if one part of the body doesn't do its job, the body doesn't function well. But if one part does its job really well, the rest of the body benefits. Paul says in verse 26, if one part suffers, all the parts suffer with it. And if one part is honored, all the parts are glad. Now the third step in this journey is to acknowledge that everything, everything has its foundation in love. You know, the church at Corinth was a troubled church. People were arguing and fussing and fighting with each other all the time. They were scrambling to reach positions of power and authority. They were belittling to those who didn't meet up with their personal preferences or their preconceived ideas. And so Paul writes this letter to reprimand their behavior and to remind them about Christ's design for the church. And in the middle of teaching the proper functioning of the body of Christ, Paul adds this whole section on love. It's chapter 13, and we have nicknamed it the love chapter. We often hear these words read at weddings, right? But I'm not saying these principles given in this chapter shouldn't be read at weddings or applied to other human relationships, but in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, it wasn't written as a love poem just to be read at weddings. It was written to be read to a congregation who had no idea of church membership. It was totally misunderstood and being misapplied. And in this love chapter, Paul says, love is patient. It's kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude, doesn't demand its own way. It's not irritable, keeps no record of things being wronged, of people being wronged. It doesn't rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever truth wins out. Love never gives gives up, never loses faith. It's always hopeful. It endures through every circumstance. And then he says prophecy and speaking in unknown language and special knowledge will one day become useless, but love will last forever. Wow, if we could just live by those principles, every church would be a healthy church, wouldn't it? We're not to love our fellow church members because we're all lovable people. We we are to love the unlovable as well. We're not just to pray for and encourage our church leaders when they're doing the things that we like them to do. We're to pray and encourage for them even when they're doing things we don't understand. We're not supposed to serve just when other people are joining in. We are to serve even if we're doing it alone. 
What would happen if our church was a beacon of love in a world where darkness and apathy engulfs our land? See, these principles of love are enough to cause a great renewal and revival in the church if we would just live by them. Many years ago, we decided to view church membership differently here at Redeemer. Uh, We call it participating membership because our expectations are different than many other churches. In so many churches, we've gotten into the habit of following the wrong model, I think, of church. And we have adopted this model called the country club member model not the body of Christ model. The country club model offers perks, it offers advantages, it says come and be entertained and be served. And the country club model, when implemented in the church, says things like, and I will tell you, I have encountered every one of these in my 40 years of ministering in local congregations, things like, hey, I write a nice check to this church on a regular basis, and if you don't do things my way, you're not gonna get my money. I am coaching a church currently that that's the number one issue that they are facing in the life of that small congregation. But I've also heard, I've been a member of this church for over 30 years, and I have the right to have things go the way I want them to go. Or preacher, you need to come around to my way of thinking or you're gonna be looking for another church to preach at. See, too many churches today are being torn apart or they're dying because they're country clubs They're not biblical models. And the biblical model says, we are here to be a blessing. We're here to serve others according to the example of Christ. The the biblical model says, God has designed this church for a purpose and we're going to follow that purpose. It's not about me, it's about those who are not here yet. It's about those who still need to hear about Jesus and how he loves them and has a plan for their life. Do you see the difference between the two? One is selfish, the other is sacrificial. Someone has described the church that follows the country club model as a sports arena. You know, the multitude in the stands, they're cheering, they're criticizing, they're complaining about the team's performance. Meanwhile, there's only this handful of people out on the court or on the field, sweating and straining to accomplish the goal of winning the game. But in the biblical model, every one of us has a function. That was God's picture of the church as given to the Apostle Paul. Each one of the parts is supposed to be filling a role. And if we're not filling that role, something's missing. The foot's function is to walk, the hand to grasp and hold, the ear's function is to hear, the nose to smell. The concept of an inactive church member is an oxymoron. An oxymoron is when two ideas expressed together seem totally incompatible or inconsistent. So basically, no such church member exists. We are a body where all the parts work separately, but we're united toward one goal, one purpose. Most churches keep a record of what they call active and inactive members. The definitions vary from congregation to congregation. In some churches, you can remain on the membership rolls without ever showing up or ever giving anything to the work of the church. In other congregations, you're considered an active member as long as you show up on Christmas and Easter. In some congregations, you're a revered member just because you give a large sum of money, but you never have to lift a finger in service or ministry. You see, that kind of membership is not part of the biblical definition. 
It's a self-engineered, self-centered, and self-maintained, and it has no place in the life of a church. A participating member of this congregation is someone who gives generously, who serves without hesitation. Biblical membership gives without qualification. It views our tithes and offerings as joyous giving without strings attached. Biblical church members serve and minister as a natural way of doing things, and we do it because our foundation is selfless love. See, I think the most pressing question in a healthy church is this. How can I best serve this church? That's where healthy churches are at. People are coming up to me and saying, how can I serve? Tom Rainer and his fellow researchers estimate that most church roles are inflated by a factor of three. That means however many people are on the membership records, only about a third of them are functioning or participating members. And only one out of three is giving generously or serving. And I believe the statistics here at Redeemer are significantly higher than that. But I'm asking each of us today to make a pledge to be different. We are making a pledge to be members the way the Bible teaches it and the way that God has designed it, and we're pledging to be active, functioning parts of this church. Being part of a local church is not something that, like being part of a civic organization or a country club, because we are a member of the body of Christ. We are a participating member. So let me encourage you to make this new commitment today to be the church that is truly the body of Christ in this community and to give and to serve. I will give, I will serve, I will minister, I will evangelize, I will study, I will uh, seek to be a blessing to others. And I will remember that if one of us suffers, we all suffer. And if one of us is honored, we all rejoice in that. You see, Christ purchased the church with his own life. The church doesn't belong to the pastors, doesn't belong to the leadership team, it doesn't belong to the member who has longest seniority, doesn't belong to the church member who donates the most money, it belongs to Jesus Christ. He is the head of the body, and the true church is made up of those who have committed their life to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. How about you? Are you on board? Pray with me. Spirit of the living God, we praise and adore you today for giving us the privilege of claiming membership in your body, the body of Christ, a gift received through the fullness of your grace. So empower us today, we pray with your spirit and give us hearts of love to proclaim the word to the people around us. Remind us that we are all members of one body. And if one of us suffers, we all suffer. We give thanks that all of us are Christ's body and rejoice in each one being part of it. So accept our adoration and our praise for these great gifts. And we pray it all in Jesus' name.